Uh, if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to invite you to uh, turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 30. And uh, I'm going to be reading, uh, starting in verse 18, so Isaiah chapter 30. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's a Bible right there in front of you, uh, sitting there in the pew in front of you. And if you don't have one at all, you can take that Bible with you at home. We uh, don't mind at all for any person to have uh, one, two, as many Bibles as you'd like, because um, we really believe in uh, the transforming uh, truth of God's Word. Uh, we are in a series, or continuing a series, this is the third week of a series called A Certain Future. This is a time out of the year, the beginning of the year, where we start to look ahead, we start to look um, at uh, our future, what God's plan, what God's uh, future might be for us. So we've been talking about that, and uh, I started things off two weeks ago and, and talked about how God does have a plan, and for those of you that stand in doubt of that, that God does have a plan, even if we can't see it with our own eyes, to trust that God has a plan. And uh, last week, Pastor Steve talked to us about how whatever that plan might be and wherever God might take you, it always involves a transformation of the heart, that, that God desires for us to have a new heart, to, to form a new heart uh, within us. And so uh, in, I'm going to continue today um, in talking about a certain guide in the midst of our, our certain future. So Isaiah chapter 30, uh, verses, starting with verse 18. This is in the New International Version. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore he will rise up and show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. People of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. On Christmas Eve, Pastor Steve shared with us a little bit about fear. And he went through an exhaustive list, just like a good accountant would do, of the types of things that we have phobias of or the types of things that we are often uh, afraid of. Fear is one of those things, I, I kind of grew up with a, a, a good life, you know, I, a privileged life. I, I didn't really run into too much trouble or experience hardships, adversities, loss. Um, I didn't really have all of those, uh, experience all of those things. On Wednesday night, this past Wednesday night, I got to speak with our youth group, which was really exciting for me. Um, I just love our youth ministry, and I love all the volunteers and um, our students that are, that are there. And I got to share with them a little bit. And uh, for those of you parents of our students, I might have shared a little bit too, mu too many details about my experience as a missionary in Haiti. Um, and so don't let them share some of these stories with you, because then you would never let them travel outside <laughs> the, the country. Needless to say, I, I ran into some 
some, some difficult experiences that I didn't realize were, were traumatic. And I didn't realize it at the time, but over the years when I came back, I, I came back here to the States to uh, begin my seminary work. And I began to realize that or, or experience the, the effects of some of these experiences that I had when I was a missionary in Haiti. And I always experienced fear sort of in a mild sense. Anxiety, worry, um, afraid of what other people think of me, you know, those kinds of things. But, but this time, it was different. And some of you kind of know what I'm talking about. There was sort of a physiological response to a, a, a deep fear that I had. This was a whole nother level for me. And I would find myself not experiencing panic attacks, but waking up in the middle of the night feeling deeply afraid, and I really didn't know what was, what was happening to me. The only way I could describe it to you is that I, I really felt as though fear was this, this demon, this this presence that had sort of gained control and was affecting me in, in deep and, and personal and, and powerful ways. Fear can take on a life of its own in this way. I was just reading yesterday, maybe you've caught this as well. Uh, apparently, someone in some office in Hawaii pushed the wrong button and a warning uh, transmitted to the, to the people of Hawaii that they were under imminent attack from a ballistic missile. Now, you guys have been following a little bit what's going on in North Korea. You can understand. If we're standing here in Ohio, I'm like, okay, you know, go back to watching TV. But, but in Hawaii, right, you, you can understand some of the fear. And it took them 30 minutes to kind of come back and say, oh, no, no, just kidding, and some people came back, some of the citizens came back and said, that was the, the most terrifying 30 minutes of my life. Fear can, can take on a, a life of its own. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, we're going to celebrate his, his life and his witness, uh, I believe, tomorrow. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, said this about fear. He said, we must build dikes of courage to hold back the flood of fear. You can imagine the, the life, if you know the history, if the, the life um, and the threat that, that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. faced. It wasn't just a mild fear. It wasn't just a worry. It was a flood of fear. And some today, we should know and recognize and proclaim that some because of the color of their skin, live in a flood of, of fear. Fear can grow and become pervasive, and, and it evokes certain types of responses for us, whether all levels of fear, whether it's just sort of a mild type of, type of fear or it's a growing fear and it kind of takes on that, that life of its own. We, we respond in different ways. Some of you are going to battle with your fear. And you have this fierce determination. I'm going to overcome this, this fear 
that I have. And some of us tend to hide away. We just sort of cower and just try to go through our lives unscathed. Some of us sort of have that fighting spirit, but it's so, we just feel out of control. And so we fight, but we find a different target <laughs> and fight in, in a different way as if we're fighting this, this demon of fear that, that's affecting us. Uh, and sometimes we intentionally distract ourselves and we don't even know that we're doing, I say intentional because it, it's, uh, it's, it's happening by our own volition, but, but we may not even recognize it sometimes of, the, of, of, of addiction and um, um, distractions, all kinds of things. We say, well, I'm just going to focus on this and you know, kind of close my eyes and pretend that, that it's not, not happening. We have all kinds of ways in which we respond to fear that, that all of us have at, at different levels. So in Isaiah, I bring all of this up to say that in Isaiah, Isaiah is a prophet, and he's speaking to God's people, and he's addressing uh, not just, not the fear so much as the reactions or the responses that fear was uh, evoking in, in God's people. Uh, in Isaiah, there was a, a looming superpower, and I mentioned this maybe uh, a couple of um, weeks ago. Uh, as we read the, the prophets, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and there's going to be, uh, there's others, it all has to do within a time period where um, there were threats of, of war, these rising superpowers that had their eye fixed on Israel and Judah, that God's people were separated into two, um, two regions, uh, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. And they were constantly living under, under threat. So while there was a relative peace, the prophets would speak, but there was um, sort of a different tone to the way that prophets were, more demonstrations of, and works of power that, that the prophets used to speak uh, to be God's mouthpiece to the people. But when uh, Assyria began to rise up, this is about uh, uh, 750 or so uh, BC, um, this, the, the, the nature of prophecy began to change for the people. Uh, Assyria had existed long ago, and they'd always been sort of a people of war. The one of first civilizations that developed a command structure. They created uh, soldiers, vocational soldiers, uh, people that would be soldiers. That, that, that's just what they did. That was their life. And they trained and prepared and created a system of society specifically for war and for battle. And it came much out of their religion. They, they worshiped gods that craved power as their uh, writings suggest they craved power and the currency of power was war well as they began in about 750 bc uh, there was a ruler named Tig tiglath-pileser the third i know i just love saying that this is how crazy my mind works when i read that word i think of one of those pigs that the angry birds fight against you know the crown anyways 
Tiglath-Pileser III. But they were really, they were ruthless, and they began to sweep to the west uh, and become this looming threat to God's people. And they, they were ruthless. I mean, this was not a G-rated movie. They were known uh, to uh, be so ruthless and so barbaric and so violent that word began to spread, and soon enough, they didn't even have to do all of those things because people had already heard the stories and they were already waving the white flag when they arrived at these towns and villages and cities and nations. There was a great looming, they, fear was their, was their weapon of choice as they swept into that uh, particular region. And this is the environment that many of the, the prophets uh, that we read about in, in the Bible are speaking into. They're, they're speaking to God's people in light of these looming threats and these looming fears that uh, exist. And so God's people, you know, throughout the different um, uh, times of, of intrusion and, and war and battles, um, people around the region, specifically God's people, would respond in different ways. Some would uh, create allies together, factions together in order to fight. You know, much of the same responses that we would have in our fears. They, some decided that they were going to fight, but those that fought often lost. Some nations would, ba- would, would band together, form coalitions to fight against Assyria, and those that would fight would also uh, would also tip, would lose. Sometimes they would just, like I said, wave the white flag and they'd hide away and say, we give up, and they'd be sort of already set themselves up as, um, as uh, a nation under uh, Assyria. All kinds of different responses. And the thing about God's people, and we can follow track this if you want to. Uh, if you're really interested in this, you can track it through Second Kings, starting about chapter 16 or 17. You can find that there were a series of different rulers or kings, both in Israel to the north and Judah to the south. That, well, let's just say they weren't exactly in line with what what God was doing. It's kind of interesting. There's just chronology of kings. And so-and-so came into power, and he was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then so-and-so came into power, and he was evil in the sight of the Lord. And you kind of read this one by one. You're like, gosh, these guys can't get it together. Because they were exploring all the different political options. They were exploring all the military options. They were exploring all the different options that would come into their mind in reaction to this looming threat that was happening to them. Except for the one that the prophets were telling them about and speaking to them about. Because the message of the prophets said that this looming threat, this, this fear, this shadow of fear that's hanging over you is not a matter of a nation rising up to defeat you or to destroy you. This is a matter between us. This is an issue of our relationship. Don't you know that, this is God speaking through the prophets, don't you know that I'm allowing this because you can't get your act together? You have been going astray. You have not been following my ways. 
And all you have to do is repent, to turn around. That's what that word means, to repent, to turn back towards me. And we'll be all good. But for whatever reason, they just could not get to that place. And it would get worse and worse. There were some kings of Israel or Judah that would set themselves up as vassals of, of the Assyrian kings that they would, you know, and they would pay money and say, hey, here, here's all our money and you know, just don't kill us and you can do whatever, you're our ruler now. And they would do all of that and then they'd say, hey, yeah, go ahead, come into our temple. Come into our places of worship. Yeah, you, you worship these gods? Oh, yeah, come on in and, and you know, we'll join you. We'll worship these gods too. And it got worse and worse and worse. And so these prophets, you wonder why some, if you read some of these, these books of the prophets in the Bible, you wonder why, you know, why they're so ticked sometimes. Well, because in the midst of the, this looming threat and the kings that are responsible for the lives and the souls of their people decide to go a different way. And so in Isaiah chapter 30, this is one of those circumstances. Scholars kind of differ as to who really is uh, to blame here. Um, Hezekiah might be one of those options that scholars have named. That's kind of interesting because Hezekiah in 2 Kings is listed as a righteous king. He was different from the others. He did what was good in the sight of the Lord. But it's also possible that he had a little slip up. Because as Assyria was, uh, was, was coming on to Judah, he was the king of Judah, where Jerusalem was, he panicked. And so he got a, a, a caravan together uh, uh, and with, with jewels and gold and silver and, and packed them all in these carts and they, they took, set way for Egypt. And their hope was that if they paid enough money that Egypt would come to their side and they would be able to defeat Assyria. And Isaiah's coming in and saying, don't you remember what I've been telling you? <laughs> Have you sought the Lord on this? So there's two specific responses that I think we can learn from God's people from in this situation. The first is that the, the God's people, and specifically these kings, panicked. They would panic. Do we find ourselves panicking at times? There is something within us, and maybe it's just us as a, as our, in our culture, but this sort of immediate reaction, just we have this tendency with this temptation, like something happens to us and we've got to do something right now. We can't wait, because to wait is to do nothing. <laughs> we, we have to react, we have to respond. This is happening. Well, we we, we gotta we gotta do something. We gotta do something. And we panic. We panic. The other response that God's people had was that it was a secular response. A secular response. What I mean by that is that they responded as if there was no God at all. They panicked. And they responded as if there was no God at all. How many times have we taken matters into our own hands, 
not even with the notion in our brain that there is an almighty God that we serve that has our back as children of God. And we live out this idea or with this expectation that, that, that there is no God. You know, sometimes we think this is, well, this is normal for secular people or for, for people who uh, are not people of faith uh, or maybe struggle with their faith and you would expect that sort of thing. But I'm willing to bet that, that this panic response and this secular response is just as much as a temptation for those of us people of faith as, as anyone else. And so Isaiah speaks into this and he says, this is why he says, blessed, blessed are those who wait for him. Blessed are those who wait for him. Waiting is so hard and might be one of the, the ultimate tests of faith. Waiting is so hard because it feels like we're doing nothing. Have you ever, um, have you ever watched a, it's like your stereotypical horror movie or let's say action film, your stereotypical action film. And you have sort of the hero or, you know, the guy with all the guns or whatever. And, and then you have someone else that they're kind of protecting and bringing along. And so, and they're like, they're coming in to, you know, attack the enemy or whatever, and they're hiding behind something, and they say, wait here, and then they go to, like, fight all the bad guys. What does this person always do? <laughs> they never wait. They never do what they're told. And then they end up being some sort of hostage in some hostage situation and makes the matters worse, right? <laughs> I wonder, do, do we make matters worse? When we feel like we need to act and we, we don't, God's just saying, well, wait here for a second. Wait here for a second. But there's more to this. Um, there's more to this. Um, Isaiah says, blessed are those who wait for him. But before that, he introduces this section by saying, by saying something about God. That the Lord, in verse 19, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And I love this, how it, it unveils God's character first and said that the Lord waits for you. And then your response then is to reciprocate that, to wait then for God. The Lord waits graciously for you. And we respond by, by waiting in turn. This is the ultimate test of faith. Because I think it requires that we would sort of settle on three things. We're going to wait on the Lord. We have typically settle on three different things. The first is, is that God is capable. We come to that place of trust that God, if I'm going to wait, I'm, I believe that God is capable. But even more than God is capable, if we're going to wait on the Lord, we also have to decide that God's actually going to do something. That, or that, that God actually cares enough to do something. And, and the third thing, through all of that, we also have to come to a place of peace to, to believe that, that all will be well in the end. And if we don't really come to, to a place of peace about those three things, 
we typically have a hard time waiting. You see, it's all about how we respond to that, that very nature of God. And the voice of fear seeks to contradict all of that. It begins to put that little piece of doubt within our minds to say, you know, is, can God really do that? And those of us, you know, okay, we've been people of faith for a long time. We can move past that part, right? We say, okay, God is almighty. God is the creator of the universe. God can, can do whatever God wants to do. God can handle this. But then that voice of fear comes and says, well, yeah, but is he? I mean, is he going to really do anything about it? And then even if God does something uh, about it, we come to put, yeah, God is going to do something about it. And we come and say, well, yeah, but are you going to be all right? Are you going to be okay in the end? That voice of fear creeps in and speaks and whispers into us. And we wrestle with it. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. I learned so much I think every time I preach, I have to share a story about, how, about fatherhood. When I'm getting my six-year-old ready for school, um, I, <laughs> you know, I, six-year-olds, they have all kinds of energy, but I just, I can't figure out why they take so much time to, to do things. I mean, they're just so slow and just kind of... Um, Trying, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's happening. But there, there, there's so many tests in the morning for me getting my son ready for school where I have to, like, not panic on him or not, like, lose it. <laughs> He's like, okay. Okay, I know I just told you five times to get your shoes on, but let's, come on. And I'm just holding myself back, holding myself back, holding myself back. And I envision God doing that with me, holding himself back, Okay, Eric. Okay, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Aren't you glad that God doesn't push the panic button? Aren't you glad that God does not push the panic button? And so Isaiah calls the people to wait. Just wait. But then he says, okay, but then now God's going to do something else. And he begins to describe God as a, as a teacher. And he says, um, he says here in uh, verse, uh, verse 19, chapter 30, verse 9, Truly, O people in Zion, um, Truly, O people in Zion, inhabitants of Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He, he will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. And in verse 20, though the Lord may give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes will see your teacher. And verse 20, and when you turn to the right or to the left, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. I love this image. Whether we turn to the right or to the left, that there is a voice from behind saying, this is the way, walk in it. 
There's, uh, Isaiah's doing something here. He, he calls God the teacher, t- uh, capital T. He calls him the teacher. In ancient uh, Israel, there was a, a common practice amongst teachers that as they are instructing their students, they would stand behind them, instruct from behind them as they're looking forward and be a voice to tell them which way to go or which, uh, which way to, to learn and to, and to grow. A voice from behind. And I love this image because we can't see ahead of us. We don't know what's going to happen. And that, that's what makes the future so full of fear. We don't know what's going to happen. And how amazing is it that we have the voice telling us this is the way. Go in it. The voice is referencing something. I'm just going to go through this quickly. The voice is referencing something called bat kol or bath kol. Bath kol, the, the voice of God, or, or uh, another way of saying that, kol Yahweh, the voice of God. And the, ancient, uh, uh, the ancients believed that there was this thing called the voice of God. That there were so many times that people would testify that they'd be sort of doing their thing. You can read this in the scriptures where they're sort of doing their thing. Like Moses, for example, he's up in, in the wilderness, uh, Mount Sinai, and all of a sudden he hears a voice. And their common, uh, common reaction is, who said that? Or you read about the call story of, of, of Samuel, uh, the prophet. Samuel, Samuel, who said that? Where did it come from? It was this, this voice from nowhere that would suddenly speak into the lives of the people, and it was, it was God's voice speaking. Jesus, who is the teacher, speaks. And while we cannot see what's ahead of us with our eyes, we have a voice that guides us from behind. We rely tend to rely so much on what we see. And there is reason for that, and God gives vision, God gives clarity, God helps us to see. And I addressed that a little bit two weeks ago. And when we're looking into the future, Pastor Steve, last week he talked about what's happening, not with our eyes, but with our heart. And how whatever the future might lie, it it is a, a transformation of the heart. But one of the underutilized parts of the body are the ears. And that whether we can see with, maybe if we can't see with our eyes or we don't know what's happening in our heart, we have a voice of God speaking to us. We rely so much on visionary leaders, visionary CEOs, visionary pastors, and I don't hear the call for good listeners very often. There are times throughout scriptures where our eyes can deceive us or our eyes might fall short. In fact, God uses blindness sometimes to reveal things to people to prove that there's more than just what they see. You remember on the road to Damascus, Saul was transformed into Paul by causing blindness uh, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, we read in uh, the book of Luke, he was caused to become blind in order that he would see what God was, was doing. And the Pharisees, uh, the, the opponents of Jesus, 
often uh, thought that they saw clearly and yet Jesus called them blind guides, which I think Jesus was making a little joke there. Sometimes we can't see with our eyes and we become confused and we forget that there's a voice from behind guiding us and saying, this is the way, walk in it. So how are we at listening? How are we at listening? To take the time to truly listen, to tr- take the time to truly take in what God is saying to us. We live in a world with so many other voices and so many other noises and so many other distractions that we hear, and it's so difficult sometimes to be good listeners. So as we consider our future and consider what this year, 2018, might be for us, I don't know what it looks like for you, but I wonder, are we listening? Are we listening to what God is saying to us? Oswald Chambers, an author, he says this. It's not on the screen, so listen up. God does not have to come and tell me what I must do for him. It bring, he brings me into relationship with himself where I hear his call and understand what he wants me to do. God's voice is not distant. Two weeks ago, I talked about how God is with us is with us wherever we go. And God is speaking to us. God is speaking about who he is, about who we are, about what our relationship with him looks like. And yes, many times, where we are to, where we are to go. So if you're like me and you're kind of sitting there confused and gosh, What does God want me to do? I wonder, have you considered that God has been speaking already, but we just haven't been listening? Just haven't been listening. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together.
Forgive us, God, that this silence was awkward. That we're used to so much noise. That we struggle to come to this place of listening to your voice. But now we're here and our ears and our hearts are open. Speak. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. And whether we turn to the right or turn to the left, let us hear your voice. A voice of God saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Let us be bound to you in all ways that we would enter into the future unafraid because you're there and we hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. May we have good ears and listening hearts that as we go out these doors in a world full of noise, that we would hear that gentle voice of God's Spirit speaking into our, our hearts and our lives. Go and be blessed. God's voice is speaking to you. Amen. Amen.